Hello, world. Welcome to Schoolyard Scientists, a podcast from the Harvard Forest Schoolyard Ecology Program. Last spring, I began a journey exploring the many schools and nature centers around the Northeast that are getting students outside learning. This is episode one, an introduction. Join us throughout the year as we meet educators and students who are getting out there, doing real science, and discovering what their schoolyards are telling them about our changing climate. It's an overcast March morning, warm enough to be outside without a jacket and with a slight promise of afternoon rain. This is the first warm day that we've had in months, and I'm glad I got here early so that I could just enjoy. There still isn't any color to the grass, but you can feel spring coming. I'm standing outside waiting to meet Sally Farrow, environmental educator at Drumlin Farm, a Massachusetts Audubon Center in Lincoln. If you don't know, Lincoln is the town famous for being next door to the famous Concord. You know, Lexington and Concord. I watch idly as a group of preschoolers romp around in their rain boots with their caregivers also waiting. In the distance, I can see the hill rolling down to the sheep pasture where the new baby lambs are out for a romp too. As if the scene could not get any more idyllic, a song sparrow flutters into the tree literally right in front of my face and lets out a beautiful tune. Luckily, I already had my recorder going. After that encounter, whatever else happens this morning, I'm here for it. But first, a little background. Over the past three years, we've heard a lot about what isn't working in schools. But I'm here to tell you about something in our schools that is entirely different. I'm here to tell the story of something that is working in our schools and that has the potential to revolutionize our approach to education. It's just something so precious. It's just really cool when you take kids outside. I work with mainly juniors and seniors, so 16 through 18 year olds. This like childlike wonder comes out of them. But all of us know how hard it is to change something in our lives, even when we know it's the right thing to do. They learn by doing and by getting outside and by engaging in authentic projects. Everyone knows this, but we still feel compelled because of the emphasis on test scores and how that then links to property values and that then links to support from the state and so forth. We're a little bit obsessed by test scores. So I'd like to see the university and all universities kind of taking that more seriously because obviously those K-12 students are their, their future. This is Schoolyard Scientists, the podcast about how students and their teachers are actively contributing to our understanding of how climate change is affecting our neighborhoods in the Northeast. From the shores of Cape Cod to an urban park in Brooklyn, New York, students are tracking seasonal changes monitoring for invasive species, and documenting our changing forests. I'm your host, Katherine Hinkle. Be prepared to be inspired and find out what the students are finding out and how we can all learn from going outside and really looking at what is going on around us. Before I tell you more about my morning on the farm, let me tell you about my job and why I'm in your ear right now. My title is Schoolyard Ecology Program Coordinator at Harvard Forest. It doesn't make much sense, and my own kids continually ask me what I do all day anyway. It was much easier for them when I was a science teacher, which I was for the past 15 years. Now I get to help the teachers and their students do what I think is the best way to learn, 
get outside, get messy, and really do science. Nearly 20 years ago, scientists at Harvard Forest, yes, that Harvard, and yes, a forest, and no, it's not in Cambridge, tapped into the burgeoning field of citizen science and developed a unique curriculum for teachers to use that mimics the research being done at the forest. What is most unique is that it isn't a curriculum. It is protocols, simple directions for students to follow to collect data. The directions are simple enough that students at most grade levels can follow. They make their observations and send them back to the scientists. Well, actually to me, but the scientists look at it too. And we store that information and make it public. Or my role in that was to try to use some of my findings on invasive species to help inform teachers and students on how important invasive species were and what impact they were having on our forests. So it seemed like a logical extension to pull in William Elgin into the mix. This is Dave Orwig, a senior researcher at Harvard Forest, who developed the protocol that students use to monitor hemlock trees near their schools for an invasive insect called the hemlock Willie Adelgid. Yeah, my name is Dave Orwig, and I'm a forest ecologist here at Harvard Forest. And I've been working here for 28 years, and I've been part of the schoolyard program since its inception. There are two other active projects the students are working on. In one, students measure seasonal change, or phenology. In the other, called our changing forests, Students measure the growth of trees near their schools and use that to learn about land use history and future changes to our forests. There's another project, too, on vernal pools. Here is what is important. The data collection hasn't stopped in all that time. New schools join every year, and some drop out, but some have just kept going. This is what we call long-term ecological research. And in ecology, it's the gold standard. And there are hundreds of research stations like Harvard Forest that do this kind of work around the world. When we make observations of the same place and organisms over time, we are able to see relationships and draw conclusions that we never could otherwise. And kids are doing this in their schoolyards. Over 40,000 students have contributed data to this project. Okay, enough background. Back to the farm. By the way, that sound, it's a pig snoring. You're welcome. Sally Farrow, who I've come to meet today, is an educator at Drumlin Farm. She's been collecting data with students using Harvard Forest protocols since 2008. What I first noticed about Sally when I met her about five years ago was her comfort and ability to talk to anyone, a hallmark of a true educator. I've since seen her with very different groups of students, and in each case, she can connect with them, ask them perceptive questions, and get them talking. She has an infectious enthusiasm for the natural world that comes radiating out of her warm blue eyes. A nature walk with Sally is a walk into the miraculous. Also, we like each other because we went to the same small women's college. I'm Sally Farrow, based out of Drummond Farm, and I've been based out of Drummond Farm for about 39 years. I love what I do, so I'm very fortunate. Now, my connection with the Harvard Forest started in 2008 because I'm passionate about vernal pools and salamanders and frogs and anything to do with that. Sally collects data with students at Drumlin, but she also goes out into Metro West towns and collects data with students in their communities. She helps lead Lowell's Environmental Youth Task Force, a remarkable environmental justice and stewardship program for youth in Lowell. It was featured in an article in Smithsonian Magazine in 2021. In Lowell, we follow a, 
um, a tree at, at Lowell High School that was planted by students. He planted two trees, I believe in 2007 and two in 2008. I have those dates in the law. And as a result, the city of Lowell was inspired to plant 47 more trees. All of this is to say, Sally has seen it all and has been able to reap the benefits of this long tenure in nature. What benefit does she see for students who participate? I think it's a platform where they really get into the research and they're like, yes, we need to, we need to be able to communicate because otherwise you feel so isolated. You know, they, they become not just part of the data collection, but they become part of the solution. So you see a, a, an identity shift within the students where they see themselves more actively engaged? Would you say that's... I, yes, and they love it. But the benefit goes beyond students getting to immerse themselves in science and feel empowered to do something with their research. They are doing good science. Here is Dave again describing how one fifth grade class were the first people in north central Massachusetts to document the arrival of the hemlock woolly adelgid in their region. Like I work with Kate Bennett in Ashburnham that had no adelgid for a long time. And so the students were getting kind of bored, like we're not finding any adelgid. And I kept trying to tell them that's just as important. We need to know when it isn't there and then when it arrives. And so eventually it did arrive. After I talked to Sally for a while, we went on a quick walk around the farm before her next meeting. I got to see one of her study trees near a vernal pool. And as I crouched down for a closer look into the water, I saw the unmistakable shimmy of an orange fairy shrimp. Tiny freshwater shrimp, no longer than an inch or so, that live in these short-lived bodies of water in the early spring. These crazy-looking aliens live their whole lives in a few short weeks. They lay their eggs, which stay dried up under leaves all year long until next winter's snowmelt revives them. I've spent countless hours with my students over the years finding these guys and taking pictures to document their existence. My eyes pricked a bit with tears, hearing the echoes in my head of all of their excited voices the first time they saw one. 100% of them had never heard of fairy shrimp before. I'm guessing 95% of you are Googling images of them right now. If I was in charge, I would mandate that every fourth grader should be allocated time in a vernal pool to muck about, watch fairy shrimp swim, and hold a salamander. So the scientists and the educators certainly see value in the program, but what about the kids? First up, I want to introduce you to Chloe Kefover, a former student of mine. Something that I haven't told you yet is that for the last four years of my teaching career, I was a teacher in the Harvard Forest Schoolyard Program, and I implemented all of the protocols and projects. Chloe was a ninth grader the first year I taught the students about vernal pools, and her voice was one that was in my mind echoing in excitement about fairy shrimp. I had to find her and ask now, as a college student, what did she remember, and did it make an impact? I'm Chloe Kefauver. Right now, I'm a freshman in college at Hamilton College, and I'm a prospective environmental studies major. We'd love to start with some memories. So if you're thinking back to that time four years ago, I'm wondering what's something that stands out to you as a memory from that class? Particularly something that like strikes me was when we did vernal pool certification, and we like found a vernal pool on campus that we didn't know about. And we broke up into teams and then we like collected data about the wildlife and just some of the fauna that was there to try and get them certified. That was something that really stood out to me. I even went on like weekends with my brother and tried to find frogs and take pictures of them so I could submit that documentation. 
like I still think, and obviously our class thought that it was really important to get them protected and make sure that they can continue to be these vital supports of our ecosystem. I did wonder if there was anything Chloe didn't like, and don't worry, there was. It seemed at first like an onerous task. I was like, oh, we have to go outside every week. What if it's raining outside and I'm wearing sneakers? For those of you who haven't spent time recently with teenagers, sneakers are a big deal. I don't remember if Chloe was a sneakerhead or not in high school, but plenty of her classmates were. I would say that a huge barrier to high schoolers in particular being comfortable enough to go outside is making sure their shoes are okay. This isn't as shallow as it may sound. If you haven't bought sneakers for teenagers recently, they're expensive and also really pretty when they are uncreased and super white. I used to keep a stash of grocery bags from Market Basket in my classroom to give the kids shoe covers. When the town enacted a plastic bag ban, I panicked a little and sometimes bought my groceries in New Hampshire to replenish my stock. It was awesome reconnecting with Chloe and a total joy knowing that something I did helped her set her on the path that she's on today. That's the dream of teaching, right? But what I also want to say is that while Chloe's class was fun and they, like every group of students, was special in their own way, they weren't exceptional. They were actually just like the other section of that class I taught that year. Not to put the group down, but I want to point out that this wasn't an honors class or a selective school. It was an inclusion class in a public school with a mix of regular ed and special ed students. This kind of work is possible with everyone. Let's hear from current students. The other week after school, I hopped on a Zoom with a group of students in Irvington, New York, who all participate at an innovative after-school program at a nature center in their town called O'Hara Nature Center. They elect into this program, where they collect data for the Harvard Forest Project, amongst many other things they do, including helping younger kids identify plants, refurbish trail signs, and work to eradicate invasive species on their property like buckthorn and the spotted lanternfly. They had a lot to say about their time after school and the time they get to spend outdoors. I feel like all the time we're inside and even Jim is inside most of the time and we don't really get to go and see outside of the whole school premises and it's really nice to just take a break before you like do your homework and stuff and really be involved. Um, like every one of us like we've been through like school with COVID and we all know like and you probably do too like we're talking on Zoom right and so that's just like kind of a regular part of the day so like using a computer is like so normal now but it it's it can be like tiring on your eyes and so or and it's also not good for your body to be like sitting around staring at a screen all day so like having or like being able to like get outside and go in the woods is like nice as a teacher i obviously loved using the project in my class given that is what i now do for my whole job i saw kids literally come alive and whether it was finding their purpose in life or just engaging with something academic for the first time, it was possible because we were outside. There's something unique about that as a learning space that somehow levels us all and opens us up. Here's some cringy audio of me that I found in the bowels of the internet. I was being interviewed a couple of years ago by the Massachusetts Charter Public School Association for a promotional video. Note the sentimental, extra diegetic music. It's lit definitely beyond my own sound mixing ability. Having a project-based learning and getting the students outside, they have a reason to, to wake up. They can 
take action. So I definitely see students engage more. Different students take leadership roles and will jump in and surprise me with like their curiosity and their awakening to a greater awareness of what's around them. Cringy as it may be for me to listen to that, I stand by every word. I want to give you more than anecdotal evidence, though. A recent study published in the journal Frontiers of Public Health last year found that any avenue to getting students outside to learn during the day, whether it was field trips, time in a school garden, or simply learning traditional lessons outside, led to increased student engagement and ownership of their learning. Some evidence of academic improvement, development of social and collaborative skills, and improved self-concept factors. All right, let's take stock. The scientists love it. The teachers love it. The students love it when their sneakers don't get messy. Educational researchers say it's the way to go. So what is the disconnect? Why isn't this kind of approach happening everywhere? Well, if you live in America, you might have guessed one of the possible roadblocks. Testing. I recently sat down with Dr. Tara Goodhue, an environmental science teacher at Lowell High School and an adjunct faculty member at UMass Lowell. She's an energetic woman with long hair and a commanding presence. As her students filtered in from their last class, she flitted amongst them, prompting them to make observations of the plants growing on the windowsill, asking about their job, and coaxing them out of their shells with laughter. Her warmth and support for her students is undeniable. Every interaction she had with her students was gentle, even when she was redirecting them to put their phones away. She would also toss out affirmations and encouragement seemingly with every breath. She's the kind of teacher you would want for your kids, the kind of teacher you wish you had had. Here is her take on why it is easier for her to bring her environmental studies students outside for lessons than a biology class that has a standardized test attached to it. People are under so much stress and the stakes are so high, right? You don't get a diploma in Massachusetts if you don't pass the biology MCAS. And it just doesn't seem equitable. It seems like there's a, there should be a better way. Sally Farrow agrees. I think there's too much emphasis on testing and and I hear this from teachers they they would love to get the students more involved in in project based learning engaged they want to feel that they can make a difference they want to but they can't there's simply too much information to cover not teach not learn but cover there is of course the question of money there's Clarice Hart Director of Education at Harvard Forest, and my fearless leader with more. I'm Clarice Hart, and I'm the Director of Education and Outreach at Harvard Forest, and I've been involved with Schoolyard Ecology since the beginning of my time here, which was almost 16 years ago. Schoolyard Program, thankfully, has base funding from the National Science Foundation. So I do think NSF has a big role to play in funding, especially long-term um, STEM inquiry. And I, I think that's part of their mission. They're really excited to do it. So that's good. Um, but the funding that we get through the long-term ecological research program has not been adequate for us to do our whole program. Um, and so we've leveraged some additional family foundations. One of them is anonymous. They've been there with us from the very beginning and they've been absolutely key to the success of our program. They, their funding has sort of grown as the program has grown, which has been absolutely you know, necessary. It's, it's not easy to fund these things. 
Um, it's not easy to do it as Harvard. I know that sounds kind of whiny, but like, um, because Harvard has you know, you know bajillion dollar endowment. I think that's the scientific term for how yeah. big their endowment is. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they are really focused on university students. Um, and I think slowly we're sort of helping them to understand that obviously, you know, university students start out as youth <laughs> and they have to learn these things and get interested and empowered in these things early on. So I'd like to see the university and all universities kind of taking that more seriously because obviously those K-12 students are their, their future. Are you listening, Harvard? It's me, Catherine. What is harder, of course, is finding the funding for public schools themselves, which is, of course, why programs like ours fill the gaps. You already know that public schools are underfunded, but maybe not. Perhaps it, also like testing, has its priorities focused in the wrong direction. This is Jennifer Feller, Director of School Programming at Mass Audubon. She's a colleague of Sally Farrow's, and she popped into the end of my conversation with Sally when I was at Drumlin Farm. You actually heard from her at the top of the episode. These are her thoughts on what steps we should take to reform our schools and make this kind of project-based work possible. I would say, number one, we need to respect the skill it takes to teach. And that would involve making it possible for teachers to commit to the career for the long term and supporting them in their work. Right now, teachers are often asked to literally teach more minutes than are in their school day in terms of what's in their curriculum, what they're expected to teach. They are not paid well enough and the working conditions are not adequate. So I would stop hiring a thousand consultants and spending all our money in the districts. We have plenty of money. It's just spent in crazy ways. It's spent on external programs and consultants instead of just paying and supporting our teachers to do their work. It's full-on spring in New England now. Warm days, or at least warmer days, have returned. Some of the days have been too warm. Maple trees are showy and chartreuse like European ambulances, and the magnolias are glorious. On a walk recently, in all of this splendor, a friend of mine was excitedly telling me about her plans to visit a favorite tree in a nearby park. She then mentioned that she always goes to visit this one magnolia every spring. She told this to me in a slightly hesitating way, as if she were embarrassed. Does that make me weird, she asked, that I have this, like, relationship with a tree? I stopped in my tracks. Because that was exactly it. My whole life has become about getting young people to have a relationship with a tree in their lives. To notice how they change with the seasons and how they grow, how they are affected by change. This relationship is small, but... It's everything that I hope for in the future world that I imagine. That it will build a connection for them, help them see the beauty around us, how they are a part of it, help them care and want to preserve what we have. None of us can care about what we don't know. To save the world, we have to begin by stepping outside and returning there again and again. So no, friend, I do not think you are weird. If you liked what you heard today, here are a few things you can do. If you are a teacher or a school administrator and you want to get your students collecting data, join us. Find us at harvardforest.fas.edu and follow me at Schoolyard Scientists on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. If you are a human, 
Go for a walk today. Start noticing what is around you. What is growing, singing, blooming. Keep doing that. Write it down. You'll be amazed. This episode was written and produced by me, Katherine Hinkle. Intro and outro music by One Man Book. Do you remember our class pets? The class... No, I don't remember the class pet. <laughs> you guys convinced me that we needed to have a class pet and you wanted to... Um, first, you wanted some of the salamanders from the... Oh and then God. I was like, well, no, that would be ethical. I remember the <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, we had the in the little um the little tank. Oh my goodness, what was I it? forgot about those. Oh my God, I don't remember. But they're the ones you put the little eggs in the water and they like grow. Oh my God. <laughs> the sea monkeys. <laughs> you, <laughs> you guys convinced me we had we needed to have sea monkeys. <laughs>